0: Good morning to all of you who are joining us online and in the balcony and on the main floor of the sanctuary. We are glad to see you. It is great to be together on this Sunday morning, isn't it? Amen. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning as we come to a new book in our series, The Story of God, we come this morning to the book of Ruth, and I invite you to turn there. It's the eighth book in the Old Testament, right after Judges. It is a sweet, sweet story that is yet full in the opening chapter of chaos, of heartache, of heartbreak. It's a good book for us to follow Pastor Allie's message from last Sunday when she spoke to us about all of the challenges reflected in the book of Judges and how God acts in the midst of that chaos to break the cycle of chaos. And Pastor Alley also reminded us very helpfully that not all of the chaos in our lives is of our own making. That sometimes chaos comes into our lives on the heels of choices of others or circumstances beyond our control. And even in that chaos, sometimes the consequences of that chaos marks our lives even though it wasn't our choice. But as I listened to Pastor Ali's message last week, I was reminded as she said it so well, the story of God is that God comes into the chaos to redeem the chaos, to break the cycle of chaos. And there is hope in that for us. I've been reflecting all week, as I'm sure you have, on all that's taking place in Ukraine. Pastor Rad mentioned a friend in Ukraine. I have friends in Ukraine, people who are pastoring and caring for the needs of others. And I'm following their Facebook posts and I'm even sharing some of their Facebook posts but the burden that is upon them is unimaginable to us. There's no way that we can comprehend what's happening in the midst of their chaos. But what I am reading and seeing is how hopeful they are and how often they say, your prayers matter to us. Please pray, keep praying. We should never, as the people of God, feel like prayer is a small thing to do, for it is a great thing to do. It's a powerful act of us to pray on behalf of those who are in the midst of chaos. I encourage you to do so. This morning as we come to the story of Naomi and Ruth, we come to a story of chaos, of destitution, Chaos that was not of Naomi and Ruth's choosing. And chapter one, which we'll read in just a moment, sets the plot for all that happens in the next four chapters of Ruth. Read along with me from Ruth chapter one, verses one through 22. I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the, son, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They're Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, Both Malan and Kilion also died and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back each of you to your mother's home, May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your home, to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who would become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this point they wept aloud again and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods, go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told me. She told them, call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. The word of the Lord. On Wednesday night, and we were gathering in the deeper dive discussion about last Sunday's message, someone asked, what text would I be using from the book of Ruth for this message today? And I said, all four chapters. And this dear friend of mine said, are you going to read all four chapters? (laughs) I assured her that I was not, but I will tell you that it's a very short read, all four chapters. And some of you have been taking advantage of our posting in the worship folder of next Sunday's passages and reading them ahead of time and preparing for this time. And we are grateful for that. Whereas the word of God has been presented to your heart between last Sunday and this Sunday, it now becomes fertile space for God to work on this day as it is presented to you. This short four-chapter book is a dramatic shift in biblical form compared to the previous seven books of the Bible, the previous seven books given the actions of God on behalf of God's creation and God's created persons. God is the primary speaker and character However, but in the book of Ruth, God is silent. God is present, but God does not speak, which is a departure from the previous seven books. And while God may be barely evident, and while God is only mentioned twice in the book, those two mentions are significant. They matter in the course of the lives of Ruth and Naomi. It is to be admired that the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi continues throughout this book. And we may be well acquainted with the story of Ruth and Naomi and, and Ruth and Boaz, but this morning what I'm captured by is not so much Ruth, Naomi and Boaz, but I'm captured by the community in which all of this occurred. for the community in which all of this takes place, in this village, this city of Bethlehem, has some things to teach us, has some things to say to us as a community of faithful followers of God. And so here it is as we come through this story, the loyalty of Ruth to Naomi continues in chapter two, when Ruth the foreigner claims the right to glean in the field. And gleaning was a process in which those who were poor or those who were poverty stricken or those who were without resources could follow the harvesters and pick up the grain stocks that they had missed. It was a way for the community to provide for those who were marginalized. It was an intentional act to make sure that people were cared for. Ruth's industrious nature is observed by the owner of the field and leads Ruth to being granted favorable treatment even though she's an outsider. She's a Moabitess. When Naomi learns that Ruth has been gleaning in the field of Boaz, Naomi lays out a plan for Ruth to find even greater favor with Boaz, who is second in line as the kinsman redeemer, who could redeem Ruth and in doing so redeem Naomi. In the chance that you're not acquainted with the concept of kinsman redeemer. In the Old Testament, kinsman redeemer is a male relative who, according to the various laws of the Pentateuch, had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, of danger, or need. The Hebrew term for kinsman redeemer designates one who delivers or rescues. Or who redeems property or person. The kinsman who redeems or vindicates a relative is illustrated, obviously, most clearly in the book of Ruth in the actions of Boaz. But the kinsman redeemer does not act independent of the community. As we read here in these chapters, Boaz, as kinsman redeemers, gathers the elders of the community to declare his intentions. But first he must invite the first in line kinsman redeemer to that gathering and so they gather perhaps around the well for the community or perhaps in the community square or perhaps by the front gate of the community but he invites them to come to give witness to the redemption action that is about to take place. So Boaz gathers them and he invites the first in line kinsman redeemer and he said are you aware that Naomi has returned and she needs redemption. It is your responsibility to care for her and her property. And the kinsman redeemer who is first in line says, I will do that. And then Boaz says, when you do that, you will also take responsibility for Ruth. I somehow kind of feel like that Boaz was negotiating shrewdly in that moment but he did and the first in line Kinsman Redeemer said while I'm willing to redeem a property I cannot redeem Ruth because it would affect my estate and he he then says to Boaz, you go ahead and redeem. And so in the witness of the elders, Boaz opts in as the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Ruth's redemption is not only made possible by Boaz, but also made possible by the standing that she has achieved in the community because of her loyalty to Naomi. You will recall in these chapters that Boaz acknowledges that he had been told about the way she had loved and cared for her mother-in-law. And Boaz became an advocate for Ruth, not only for her need for her and Naomi, but also in the community as an outsider, as a foreigner. And so it is that by being redeemed by the kinsman Redeemer, Ruth has gone from a community outsider without a future to being accepted and welcomed into the community, having her marriage to Boaz blessed by the community elders. The role of what Catherine Sockenfeld has suggested, that the Bethlehem community is a model of what life in the kingdom of God will look like when Jesus speaks of it hundreds of years later. The faithfulness of the community becomes a model of care for the marginalized and for the hurting among them. As Sinclair Ferguson notes, the book of Ruth is not basic instruction about the kingdom of God like the Sermon on the Mount, yet it contains important lessons about life in the kingdom. There are life lessons observed in the persons of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, as well as in the response of the community to them. And so this morning I have five observations about the community. This faithful community of Bethlehem For this faithful community can encourage us, it can teach us, it can shape us this morning. The first observation is that the peaceful, the faithful community hears Naomi's declaration of bitterness and her demand that she be called Mara. When Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, the community is stirred, the scripture says, and they begin to ask themselves, and it is the women of the community who begin to ask themselves, is this Naomi who left us years ago? And maybe they're not sure that it's Naomi because perhaps her countenance has been so powerfully shaped by the bitterness that weighs on her mind, her heart, and her soul because of the loss of her husband and her sons, because of the loss of her position as a woman, as a widow, without someone to care and provide for her. And we read the strong language that she used when she said, God has afflicted me. God's favor has turned against me. I left here full and I come back empty. And Naomi's language Is powerful and strong and painful and reflects the chaos and the disappointment that she has experienced but it is the faithful community that hears that bitterness and receives that bitterness and responds to her demand to be called Mara which means bitter which is a tremendous departure because the name Naomi means pleasant And Naomi is saying, I'm no longer pleasant. I'm now bitter. As another pastor noted, the community as it walks along with Naomi never calls her Mara, but embraces and absorbs her bitterness and then celebrates with her in chapter 4, verses 14 to 15. Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter in law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Naomi has been restored by the care of the community and the provision of God in the provision of a grandson. It is the community that absorbs the grief and the bitterness. And in hope, embraces it and walks along with that person until they are restored to hope. The community of faith is to be a place of restoration. It is clear to us, isn't it, by our own personal experience, by the biblical record, that life is messy, Pastor Brad recently wrote a a piece in the Fuller Seminary Periodical. And in that piece, he noted, M. Scott Peck famously noted, life is difficult. Anyone want to testify? (laughs) And alongside of that testimony, many of us would need to testify about the faithfulness of the community that walked alongside of us and brought hope to us and refused to let us stay in the place of disappointment and hurt and bitterness. Second observation, the faithful community is hospitable to the outsider. It is always a curious thing to me that this community makes space for a foreigner, a Moabitess especially when the law in the Pentateuch says have nothing to do with Moabites. Israelite men are forbidden to marry Moabites. And yet they did, and yet she's here in the faithful community of Bethlehem. And they make space for her. In its posture of making space for the foreigner Ruth, the community reflects the grace and mercy of God to make space for someone not like them truly a kingdom behavior. In your worship folder this morning is a simple announcement regarding our planning to begin a Christ-centered 12-step program known as Celebrate Recovery. A program that is known to embrace the model of the faithful community of Bethlehem and its response to the marginalized person of Ruth. It is a means for us to be a faithful community in a new way. It is the means for us to be intentional about seeking and welcoming marginalized, hurting people into our midst. That we might be faithful to hear the confessions of the hurting as the people of Bethlehem did for Naomi and walk with them to the place of restoration, healing and hope. Here's a question. How will we receive those who come to profess, confess their addiction, their dependencies. The faithful community of Bethlehem calls us into this space. By the way, they're already hurting people among us. We sometimes, oftentimes, come to worship and come to church and Sunday school activities and we put on our best face. We don't want anybody to know we're hurting. We don't want anybody to know we're addicted. For we think the community has an expectation that we be a certain way. And when we act in those ways, we steal from the community the opportunity to walk with us, to care for us, to love for us, and help restore us to wholeness. But sometimes the community leaves the impression that we must be right, we must be whole in their presence in order to be welcomed. If by chance you are a friend of Bill W. or participated in a recovery program or have been in a rehab program, I want to hear from you. You can email me at celebraterecovery at passnaz.org. Let's go together to care for hurting people as a faithful community. Third observation, the faithful community embraces its intergenerational responsibility to care for the elderly and to celebrate children. I have to tell you, I have enjoyed having the children in the sanctuary. A parent said to me recently, I hope our baby didn't disturb you Babies never disturb me. I would rather have the cry of a baby in the sanctuary than to not have children at all. I was raised by parents who taught me not to run in the sanctuary. I was cheated by them. (laughs) When I see a child running in the sanctuary, I want to say, go, go, go because I imagine that brings gladness to the heart of God. I'm going to throw away the decorum of the sanctuary, if you will. This is a special place, but it is a place where we should live as a faithful community and welcome the expressions of its people of all ages however they may be expressed. The faithful Bethlehem community cared for Naomi. They walked with her in her bitterness and they rejoiced with her in the birth of her grandson, Obed. For God, in chapter four, verse 13, it is said, had blessed Ruth and enabled her to conceive. And God's presence and provision is evident more broadly in the way, the ways people behave. In chapter 1, when it was revealed that famine has come to the land around Bethlehem, the word, the name Bethlehem literally means house of bread. It should not be lost on us that the house of bread was now empty. There was no food, there was no provision. Because the famine had come to Bethlehem and the surrounding land. And so it is the famine drives Naomi's husband and sons to Moab and across the 10 year span, Elimelech and both of his sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws destitute. But hope comes to them when word comes that the famine in Bethlehem had been relieved because God had come to the aid of his people. And so they prepare to go back. And as we read in the first chapter this morning, Naomi says to Adonis, go back to the homes of your mothers because I have nothing to offer you. There's nothing in Bethlehem for you. And Orpah does, but Ruth refuses to stay. Refuses to go and do anything except go with Naomi. The loyalty of Ruth to Naomi is admirable, but does not relieve Naomi's grief. Yesterday in our membership class, during our lunch break, some of our folks recognized the intergenerational quality of this community of faith. And they asked, where are the young people? Among our stated values as a congregation is a desire to be intergenerational, meaning providing equal opportunity for young or old and alike. Being an intergenerational con- congregation is not achieved simply by the care and leadership of pastors; it is an attitude, is a set of behaviors, a set of actions exhibited by the peace by the faithful community that is intentional about intergenerational relationships, and the Bethlehem community was intentional they welcomed the old Naomi, and they celebrated the young Obed. And said there's a place for all here. Some years ago, I was interviewed by a church board and a congregation who said, in our conversation when I asked, what's your greatest need? They said young families. and I ask if they really wanted more younger families among them they said yes but we want them to believe and think like we do does anyone see a problem in the response without realizing their meaning of their answer the congregation I interviewed with had identified why they didn't have more younger people. The faithful community recognizes that there are going to be differences of thought and that difference of thought's gonna be expressed in different ways. And it embraces the young people not for the what, but for the who. The who. the who. Not for the how, not for the what, not even for the why, but for the who. I have lived long enough to experience different generations of expression in the church. I remember growing up in the church of the Nazarene as a child having heard lots of preaching about my sin. I made innumerable trips from my seat to an altar. And the intention was right to care for the purity of my soul, but the consequence of guilt and shame that I experienced over those years of being told that I was sinful left an incredible impact on me. Anybody else? I went to Pasadena College and met a man by the name of Reuben Welch who taught me about grace, mercy. And I was restored. You see, in that season was also the Jesus movement. Anybody remember the Jesus movement? A generation of young people raised up with a passion for Jesus and they gave rise to organizations like YWAM, seeking to lead people to know Jesus. And that was the birth, by the way, in the late 60s choruses that were sung in worship chorus and worship are 50 years old, old. almost as old as I am <laughs> almost old as some of y'all Many of the hymns we sing are only two or three hundred years old. The church is 2,000 years old. You see, friends, when we think intergenerationally, it's not about the what, it's about the who. I want to know one thing. Do you think about Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? You want to learn more about Jesus? Then come on. That's all I need to know. How you express it, how you wanna live it out, what service you wanna give your life to in the service of the kingdom is going to be different than how I will express it in my life, but come on. The Bethlehem community, as a faithful community, was an intergenerational faithful community. As I have listened to you since my election in October, it is clear to me that we as a faithful community desire to be intergenerational. Anyone here desire not to be an intergenerational congregation? Come on. (laughs) Of course you don't. Of course we do want to be intergenerational. And so here we are. It's clear to me that we as a faithful community desire to be intergenerational. You and I and many others care deeply about having young adults and young families among us. But without realizing it, many churches, many, many, many churches across our country are losing young young adults not because they're intentionally against being intergenerational, but because they have lost the capacity to learn as a faithful community. My fourth observation is that the Bethlehem community as a faithful community was a learning community. They listened to Naomi's grief. They learned about her grief. They responded to that grief They watched Ruth, didn't reject her because of her ethnic background, but welcomed her because of who she was. They learned about her and welcomed her and she found status and position in the community because they were a learning community. When the church nominating committee met recently, They intentionally nominated some young adults to the church board because we need those voices in places of decision making and resource allocation. And I welcome that. The challenge to being truly intergenerational at Naz is not unique to Naz. I take some comfort in that, very small comfort. The question comes to me, and I think it's a fair question for us all to ask, how do we return to being fully intergenerational as the Bethlehem community was? I would suggest that a faithful community begins with a season of self-reflection because it's easy for us to assume that it's about them when maybe some of it has to do with us. And so, as an initiative for a faithful community to engage in a season of self reflection, Pastor Brad and I will be leading a book study. We'll begin by reading Growing Young by like Kara Powell, Jake Mulder, and Brad Griffin. And in a few weeks, Pastor Brad and I are going to host a coffee time on Saturday morning. And you're invited to read this with us. You can buy it on Amazon. I have a few copies. They're $500 a piece. <laughs> Seriously. This book, Fuller does, a, Fuller does a wonderful thing. It does a tremendous amount of research and then creates resources on the basis of the research. That's what this book is about. This book has researched this very issue that we're talking about. So I invite you, anyone, read it with us. And then join us. Well, Brad's going to have coffee. I won't. I'm a holy person. I'll have iced tea for the rest of you holy persons. And then following that book, I'm gonna invite you to read Searching for Sunday by Rachel Held Evans. This book will challenge you. I'm reading it, it challenges me. For Rachel Held Evans talks about leaving the church and then finding again And you know what my hope would be? Was it be that Naz would be the kind of church that a person like Rachel Hald Evans would find again? A friend of mine, a lay person in another church, heard me talk about this book. And she texted me this week and said, have you finished it? No, I have a job. You're retired, I'm not. She's younger than I am, how does that happen? I don't know. But seriously friends, let's take the next few months and engage in self-reflection because I know us to be a faithful community. I know us to have the desire to have a heart after God. I know us to be a community with capacity to care for hurting, bitter, wounded people. I know us to be that way. But Let's learn together. Let's be like Bethlehem, a faithful learning community and learn together. What I know about learning is that learning changes you. Thanks be to God. That's why Jesus said in John chapter 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit will come and teach you and remind you and convict you and judge you and help you remember. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given in the expectation that the people of God will be a learning people. And so a faithful community is a learning community. The fifth and last observation when a faithful community lives out the call of God, it is a hopeful community. I love the way the book of Ruth ends. Chapter 4, being in verse 16. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The, woman, the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. You see where that's going? And then in verse 18 is a longer genealogy. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Menadab the father of Nation. Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of David. And so right here in the eighth book of the Old Testament, it is as if God is saying, I have not forgotten my covenant to Abraham in chapter 12, verse 3, when I told him he would be a father of many people and all nations would be blessed through him. This is a covenant reminder of what is to come. This is a memory of a future for a faithful community. And so it is for us. A memory of a future, Karen Sackenfeld calls it. And so it is the community that out of the chaos and difficulties of Ruth and Naomi's life, and through the genealogy of Obed, God is saying to Bethlehem, there is a future. And as a faithful community, you can be hopeful. And we all know the rest of this story, don't we? Joseph and Mary, where do they go? To Bethlehem. But how are they treated? Not well. The community of Bethlehem had changed. The call of the book of Ruth is to be a faithful people. And faithful because God is initiating and providing for them as a faithful community. The Bethlehem community calls us to faithfulness. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together. Before I share the benediction, I have good news and not so good news. The good news is that Pastor Alley has been accepted into a graduate program for music therapy at Shenandoah University in Winchester, Virginia beginning in the fall. As a faithful community, we express joy and congratulations to her as she and Joel pursue what is next for them in the providence of God. As a faithful community, while we will grieve our loss of their presence among us, we will shower them with love and gratitude and appreciation for the five years they've been among us. May the Lord bless you. receive this benediction now may the peace of God who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever and everyone said amen go in hope